Yo, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Mid-Range Game Podcast. I'm your host, Ole Defense 1033, coming at y'all on a Thursday morning here in Chicago. It's supposed to be 70 today. I ain't feeling that shit yet, but it is the morning, but we'll see. You know, you know how these meteorologists can be, y'all. You know, they, they say it's going to be this, and then it turns out to be the complete opposite. So... Uh, I got my fingers crossed. We all here in Chicago, we all about ready for some some good spring weather. You know, we ready, us fellas, we ready to see the ladies out and they, you know, and they booty shorts and they leggings and looking all good. And, and I'm sure the ladies are ready for to see us guys, you know, with our shit on and looking good as well. Um, you know, here, like I said, here, everybody's ready for the spring. Um, so today, I actually want to talk about um, what I believe is the greatest game ever, at least the greatest game I saw, and from the greatest series ever, and the greatest, most important series ever in NBA history. Um, but before I get, get into that, I actually want to talk, talk real quick about the music and the movies from 1984. Because that's when this finals happened in 1984. So uh, I want to talk about that real quick, man. It was some music-wise. It was some bangers out in 1984. I mean, shit. I was doing my research. Um, man, I, I mean, Purple Rain soundtrack came out in 84. You know, shit. That shit was a monster. Uh, my personal favorite from from that soundtrack was we are party like it's 1999 man that's my song uh, it's not my favorite prince song all time but from that particular album it's my favorite songs that you got let's get crazy let's get loose and then of course doves cry when doves cry do 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 <laughs> and then Purple Rain, of course. Um, man, it was an amazing soundtrack. Honestly, the movie was pretty good as well. Um, and another uh, another one of my favorite groups um, that came, that dropped a song uh, was Hall & Oates, uh, Out of Touch. That came out in 1984. And I actually remember the first time I heard that song. I actually heard it off of GTA Vice City. <laughs> <laughs> on the radio, I was like, oh shit, this is some catchy shit, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, was, I remember, um, you know, I went back, you know, started looking up that music and shit, and man, cannot believe that these two guys are white, <laughs> so, uh, they definitely, they definitely invited to my picnic and my barbecue, um, so, some, uh, nice blue-eyed soul over there, um, you know, at Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it, you know, uh, I don't know if it was the biggest hit of her career as far as like her solo career, but uh, it definitely, that was song definitely kind of, you know, put her out there and just say, ha, fuck Ike, I'm divorced, I'm ready to be free, I'm ready to live the rest of my life. Um, you had also had, you had Wham, wake me up before you go, go, it's catchy as hell. Um, another actually one of my favorite songs uh, was from the Footloose soundtrack. Um, Let's hear from the boys. I said from the boys, but for the boys. 
Let's get the boys a hand. And that was from uh, the Footloose soundtrack. Uh, so, man, and, and the list goes on and on and on. Like, I could, and I probably might do this. Uh, I could actually go back, and this could be like a damn two or three hour podcast just off the music alone that came out in 1984. Uh, so, same thing with the movies. You know, I went through the movies and shit. That's like, I could go through the movies for like a day. I mean, shit. You had the fucking Terminator come out in 1984, which is ultimately became a classic and, you know, a cult hit. And, you know, really put Arnold Schwarzenegger on the map, really elevated his career. Um, Red Dawn with Patrick Swayze. I'm a big Patrick Swayze fan. Um, That was a really good movie about war coming to a small town. Um, You had Police Academy, hilarious. Fucking Beverly Hills Cop. (laughs) Also hilarious. Uh, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom. I mean, shit, you had the original Friday, uh, not Friday, but you actually did have a Friday 13th that dropped that year. Um, I believe it was Friday 13th Part 4, which was, it was okay. It was okay. My personal favorite from from uh, the Friday 13th series is Jason Liz Part 6, uh, which is fucking hilarious, and it's just a fun movie. Um, but yeah, you had the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and then, of course, um, you have the fucking Karate Kid. Daya son, wax on, wax off. Daya son. You know. <laughs> hey, Miss Miyagi, I can't do it. I can't do it. Johnny's too tough for me. He swept my leg. Daya son. <laughs> but uh, nah. but uh, also, I mean, obviously, Karate Kid is a classic. It was so, such a big, it was such a great movie, and still to this day that you know fucking cobra cast back you know that you know we got the cobra cast series as a result because of the fanfare because people still love the movie so much and there was so much still left to tap into which honestly cobra Kai has done a great job of doing uh so that's the movies that's just some of the movies and i mean the list goes on and on like i said i could do like a three-hour podcast just off the movies alone Let's get crazy, do 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 do. Let's get loose, do 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 do. Man, shout out to Prince and the Purple Palace in the Sky. I know he probably jamming right now with God and the God in the studio, listening to Prince put together masterpiece at the masterpiece up in in the up in heaven, man. So uh, much respect to Prince. Um, I'm gonna get into the 1980 finals, uh, 1984 finals. Excuse me, right now. And exactly why I believe it's the GOAT series and Game 4 is the GOAT game of all time in the NBA. Um, <clears throat> let me just start by saying, you know, what made this series great for me was you had the two greatest franchises, Lakers and Celtics, the two greatest rivals in NBA history, Lakers and Celtics, and you had the two top players and most popular players in the NBA 
at that point, Magic and Bird. Most fans were able to see, you know, Magic and Bird, see what they would potentially be even in college. You know, they battled in the NCAA title game. Um, <clears throat> so that built up hype right there. Um, you know, Magic and Bird drafted to the two greatest franchises. You know, you know, a lot of people were in great anticipation that they would pick up, you know, their rivalry at some point and meet in the finals because, you know, this is Lakers and Celtics. They met in you know, literally final after final after final after final in the 60s and, and been a part of, like, some classic moments and classic series. So fans were hyped and they anticipated, you know, that that bird magic Lakers Celtics clash. And that's exactly what happened in 84. Um, you know, it's pretty clear that they were the two best teams in the league. Uh, I believe they had identical records. Boston had a tiebreaker. Um, <clears throat> you know, I can't say enough about the impact that magic and bird made on the league, uh, along with cable TV. Um, you know, cable TV especially uh, helped make the NBA popular and more accessible for fans because, you know, games back then were on tape delay before cable TV. You know, fans couldn't see the games in their entirety. You know, you a lot of games were cut off, you know, before the end of the game. I remember watching a game as a kid where the, the game cut off, like, in the middle of the third quarter because it was time for the local news to come on the air <laughs> and you have to wait to the next morning to read the paper and the box scores to see <laughs> exactly who won the game you know it wasn't a good time to be to, to be necessarily a fan and be able to because you just couldn't watch it was a lot of games that you couldn't watch you had to like follow box scores and shit in the paper and you know and then the games that were on tv you didn't really get a wide variety either. It's basically one game a week or two games a week and, and that was it um <clears throat> so cable tv uh really helped change things obviously it made it accessible for for more fans to see, um, you know, games got played more in their entirety, and there was a wider variety of teams that were on TV. Uh, really helped popularize the game. Uh, this series uh, had two OT games, Game Two and Game Four. Um, once again, because it was Lakers and Celtics, you know, they had a natural dislike for each other, and it just made for a, a great series. Um, <clears throat> you know. Um, and before I even go into detail at all about Game 4, I actually need to rewind this series back to Game 1. Um, game 1 started out, uh, L.A. came to Boston, opened up a six-pack of whoop-ass on the Celtics, and ran them off their own court. Um, Lakers won the game, Boston trailed pretty much the entire game, and the game was never really in much doubt. Uh, game two, Boston. It was game two. Actually, was playing out a lot like game one. Boston was able to keep the game a little bit closer, uh, but you know you could kind of see that the Lakers' athleticism and their length was a problem for for the Celtics. Um, once again, just like game one, uh, the fast break was just unstoppable. The Celtics couldn't do shit with it. 
um, you know, magic on the braid. Obviously, you got Worthy, you got Byron Scott over here, you know, you hell, you even have Rambis trailing the break and getting dunks and shit. Um, you know, there was a couple of times Kareem was actually able to run the floor and <laughs> and beat Parrish down the floor and get dunks. So uh, they just could not handle the Laker fast break at all. Um, and it was playing out game one, two was playing out almost exactly like game one. Um, you know, this set, Boston was able to keep it a lot closer. Um, you know, game two is known as the steal uh, because it was the Gerald Henderson steal of a James Worthy pass that sent the game into OT and Boston was able to pull it through there. Now, game three, uh, this was all L.A. from jump. Um, you know, L.A. came, they saw, they ran Boston ass off the court. This game was never even close. Uh, L.A., I believe they won at 138 to 108. It wasn't even that damn close. It felt like rewatching that game. It felt like the Lakers was beating their ass by 60. That's how it felt. It felt like Boston was like the JV team and LA was like a fucking Duke or <laughs> some shit. You know, they made the Celtics you know, like a high school JV team. <laughs> that's how that's how amazing LA played in this game. Um you know, it wasn't even in doubt. I mean, the basically the game was basically just Magic Johnson running up and down the court, up and down the court on the fast break, just throwing fucking behind the back passes, high fiving, motherfucker smiling at the crowd, celebrating and shit, and Wordy getting dunk out the dunk, and that's pretty much the game. Like Boston didn't have any fucking. There was not not one good thing that happened for Boston in that game. It was just. It was probably the worst, probably the the lowest moment of the Bird Celtics era at that point. And, you know, for L.A., they were the driver's seat of the series. They basically had controlled all three games. And, you know, it took a fucking, it took a, a, a terrible pass, you know, from Worthy and some, the bounce of a ball for basically Boston to win one game. Uh, so, um, and I, so let me go to game four and that I set, set up, <laughs> gave you some context as far as why this game was so important. Um, you know, you know, obviously, you know, you got to think when a team is, has thoroughly kind of controlled the series and, and thoroughly dominated you for three games, doubt starts to creep in, you know, you start to wonder, well, what the fuck can we do then? You know, they, the Lake, as I mentioned, the Laker fast break was just that was the biggest issue for the Celtics. They just could not, they could not do anything with the Lakers fast break. Once Magic got the ball on the break, it was over. You may as well count it as two. Um, so the Celtics really were scratching for answers, which made this game all the more, all the more incredible. And because Game Four is where they started to get some answers to how they could even contend with LA. Um, Celtics poured this game out uh, 129, 125 to even up the series at 2 2. Uh, Bird led the Celtics with 29 and 21. Uh, DJ dropped 22 and 14. Parrish 25 and 12. Interesting, uh, Boston actually outshot. Uh, 
111 to 185. Um, Lakers had more turnovers, which played into the, 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 the lower shot attempts. You know, LA turned the ball over 20 times to just Boston's 14. Uh, Magic led LA with, excuse me, Magic led LA with 20 and 17, 11 rebounds. James Worthy had 30 and a bunch of dunks. <laughs> Uh, Kareem had 32 points. He had six assists. He threw some nice passes out the post to beat the double teams, too. I mean, he was hitting guys in stride like, as they were cutting to the basket where, you know, these putting it in that laps to where it made it easier for them to score. Um, you know, when you talk about great passing big man, Kareem doesn't get mentioned, but he should. He belongs in that category. All right, so um, so uh, Celtics were down by as much as ten to start. Um, at the end of the first quarter, they were actually down uh, thirty. They were actually down uh, thirty-one twenty-one. Um, now, second quarter, it looked like it was about to be a repeat of third of the a game three. Uh, Lakers had all the momentum. The fast break was once again. I mean, murdering the damn Celtics. Uh, and Celtics couldn't make an outside shot to save their damn life. Um, one of the big adjustments that Casey Jones made, the Celtics coach, was, uh, you know, using Bird more on the perimeter as opposed to try to posting them up inside against Michael Cooper to try to take advantage of his uh, size. Um, so they wanted to try to get Bird off on the outside uh, to prevent the Lakers from double teaming them quickly to get the ball out of his hands. Um, I mean, you know, said Celtics couldn't make a damn outside shot to save their life. Um, the Lakers pushed the lead to 14 at one point and the lead by as much as 10 points three times in the second quarter. And um, they had the Celtics on the rope. And looked, like I said, it looked like it was going to be a repeat of uh, game three at any moment in time. Uh, Lakers led 68 to 58 at the halftime. Um, Lakers shot 68% from the field. Woo! To Boston, 45%. LA had 20 fast break points already. And the way it looked, it looked like they was on pace for 60 fast break points. Uh, Boston only had six fast break points at that point. so, fast forward to the third quarter. Lakers pushed the lead up to uh, led by seventy to fifty-eight. And, you know that's when Boston actually started making some damn outside shots. Okay, finally started getting some shit to drop from the outside, uh, and they started for and they were able to force some turnovers too. Uh, but the biggest thing to me was they just made an effort to just say fuck it, we go crash the boards at all costs. It's not like we. We're stopping the fast break anyway, even though we're all trying to get back. So they said, fuck it. We're going to just crash the boards. We can't make a shot. You know, we just going to have to crash these damn boards and and just hope for the best. And and as a result, they were able to slow down the pace of the game and make it more of a half court type of deal. Um, and it actually allowed the Celtics to cut the lead down to six, 76 to 70. And 
at the 60 uh excuse me at the 653 mark in the third and that's when the infamous clothesline happened i mean i'm sure y'all have seen this shit already like i mean i hope shit i mean this shit happened like about 40 something years ago but <laughs> uh well not 40 i'm exaggerating but still y'all y'all haven't seen this shit enough um you know rambis is coming down on down on the break getting ready to go up for the dunk and that's when clothesline that's when mikhail and um Gerald Henderson clothesline the shit out of him WWE style. Uh, that one play resulted in a near brawl. I mean, it was like fucking players all over the court. Uh, it looked like it was like <laughs> about to be Malice of the Palace type shit. Uh, I mean, uh, you got the crowd chanting, Balls, dead, sauce, balls, dead, sauce. And and it completely flipped the momentum of the game, of the entire series, too. Um, you know, the Lakers, they forgot what was... They, they just lost their damn mind. They lost all their composure. You know, they you know, they got away from what was working, you know, losing the athleticism and, and the transition game. And instead, they... You know, they found themselves trying to fight Boston, you know, at every opportunity. Uh, and the C's started using their size more. They started using their physicality to their advantage in this series, in this second half. And and, it also, and ultimately to the rest of the series, um, you know, things got a lot chippy. You know, Bird and Kareem got into it. And where Bird was... <laughs> Good to be egging Kareem on. And Kareem is like going to fuck off. You know, Kareem especially lost his composure here as the captain of the team because he was trying to fight Bird. He was trying to fight anybody at this point. Point. Um, instead of just playing the game. Um, so the C started using their physicality, started using their size a lot better. And, you know, as as the game was playing out, in the second half, it actually reminded me of something that Isaiah Thomas once said about the Celtics, and he said they they were great teachers, meaning everything that they everything that they learned they learned from the Celtics, and that's exactly how this game played out because you know the Celtics started, were using like the bad boy pissing shit like the little chippiness like doing a little extra holding extra grabbing uh things like that you know you know guys going to the hole they start laying them out and that's actually where the bad boy Pistons got their style of play from was the Celtics. And that's how the Celtics had to play the Lakers here because they just couldn't play them straight up because that shit wasn't working. The Lakers was just running them off the court. So they had to try to muck the game up. They tried to have to make it more of a more of a, a clutch and hold, more of a physical type of game and and pound them on the pound them on the boards. Because that was their really their only fucking chance at that point. Um, I'm saying um, the physicality, like as I mentioned, picked up to the to the Celtics' advantage. The pace slowed down, and along with Boston's making jump shots, um, especially Gerald Henderson. Gerald Henderson had 11 big third quarter points, um, and. 
it actually allowed Boston to cut the lead down to two. At the start of the fourth, L.A. led 90 to 88. Um, you know, Lakers and Seas went back and forth. Uh, Boston at one point took their first lead of the game, uh, 104 to 101. Uh, and immediately after that, the Lakers went on a fucking eight nothing run. I mean, just like that, the snap of a snap of your fingers. You blinked, and next thing you know, L.A. was up 109-104. Um, with just three minutes left in the game. Now, this is a crucial point in the game because Kareem picked up his fourth foul with under two minutes left in the game. Uh, actually, at the 140 mark in the fourth quarter. And, you know... Uh, the Celtics, um, Lakers took us took the lead. Um, they were up one thirteen to one hundred eight with with fifty seconds left. Um, so it looks like the LA is in complete control of the game. It looks like they're gonna win. Um, Parish, who was huge, like I said, he had twenty and twenty five and twelve, but they were twenty five big points and and. You know, I cannot say enough how important it was because early in the first half, when the Lakers were really starting to kind of threatening to blow this shit wide open, it was parish uh, points that really kept them afloat in the, in that early in that game and really kept them within striking distance at least. Um, <clears throat> and that's what Parrish did. Parrish... Um, Got two offensive boards and and then which ultimately ended up in the and one and put put the fifth foul on Kareem. So the Celtics cut the lead down 113-111. Picked up, like I said, Kareem picked up his fifth foul. Then moments later, Kareem picked up his sixth and final foul on the loose ball foul. So if y'all was paying attention, if I explained that shit right, this motherfucking Kareem. Picked up three fouls in less than three minutes and fouled out the game, uh, which is, which is, which is crazy, and it just speaks to just how much of his composure that Kareem lost in this game, and it wasn't just not just Kareem too; they all, all the Lakers eventually lost their composure. Um, you know, Bird hit two big free throws to tie the game at at one thirteen after he got fouled. Um, and immediately after that, the Lakers' last possession in regulation, uh, Worthy had Parrish on him. You know, Worthy was trying to get the ball. Parrish was, like, playing over the top of him where, I mean, it was pretty simple for someone with the length of Robert Parrish to just get to the ball. Um, and... You know, he didn't have a pass. Magic had no passing angle at all to get this ball to Wordy. But Magic threw that shit anyway. It was like the dumbest pass I've ever seen Magic Johnson make. The, the greatest point guard ever. The greatest passer ever. And, man, Stevie Wonder could have saw that he didn't have a damn angle to throw that damn ball. And as a result, Paris stole the ball, forced the game into OT. Um, now, overtime, Celtics front line just went to work. They really dominated the offensive class in OT. You know, no Kareem 
to help on the boards. Although, let me just say at this point, man, you know, Kareem's the third greatest player ever in my opinion. But by by 1980, by 1982, 83, he stopped rebounding. He wasn't doing much of shit on the board. So it doesn't matter if he was there <laughs> anyway. So was going to get these damn offensive boards. Um, so, um Parrish ended up fouling out in OT with 25 and 12. As I said, big tw- is a big 25 points too and a big 12 rebounds. Um, you know, Boston, you could tell Boston became, became more confident. You know, they kind of figured out what they need to do at this point to, to be able to contend with LA. Pound the offensive glass, muck up the game, make it a physical game, make it a chippy game. Uh, Worthy had a hell of a game. Like I said earlier, he had 30 points. Uh, he had 10 points in OT. He was a fuck, unfucking stoppable. He had Bird on him much of the time. And I mean, he was, it was like, this motherfucker was just jumping right over the top of Bird like he wasn't shit. You know, James Worthy was one of those dudes. Um, man, he was an athletic freak. You know, 6'9, 225, long arms, and. To this day, he has the best, the greatest first step I've ever seen from a man like his size. A man 6'7 and above, like the greatest first step. Like, I mean, the quickest, you know. Um, it was just his first step was insane. All right, so with the game tied at 123 with a chance to put L.A. up ahead, um, with 34 seconds left, Magic at the line. Magic break two free throws. I mean, he break like little brick. Like they didn't have a like a, a chance. And you know this, you know the pass, the bad pass at the end of the regulation, and then these two brick free throws. That's kind of where the Tragic Johnson uh, nickname started to rears, started to come out. That's kind of where it came from. The whole Tragic Johnson thing. It came from this. Those two moments, and you know, Magic did not get he didn't get it done. You know, he did not get it done, and you know, from the rest of the series on, Magic kind of played like like shit. <laughs> and and that was a big and that was a big reason, and that was a big part of why LA ultimately went on to lose the series. Um, but back to the game, uh, Burr hit the go away fadeaway over Magic for the lead. 125, 123 with about 16 seconds left. It was a beautiful fadeaway. Um, you know, Bird, once again, Bird had 29 points. Uh, he was only 9 for 25. You know, nobody in Boston really shot the ball well at all. Um, you know, DJ was had 22, but he was like 8 for 22. Uh, Bird, like I said, Bird was, was 9 for 25. Mikhail had a shitty game. Offensively, he was like two for sixteen. Uh, it was just a ugly game. Uh, Boston only shot maybe forty-two percent in the game. LA shot fifty-eight percent and still lost. <laughs> um, uh, you know, um, like I said, Bird was like only nine for twenty-five. But the most important, he didn't run away from the ball. You know, when Bird had when Bird. Before that shot, Bird was calling for the ball. He wanted the ball. He wanted that shot. He took it. Um, and as a result, 
Boston makes a couple of free throws and ultimately will go on to win the game 129 to 125. Uh, Boston goes on to win game five and ultimately win game seven and the finals. Um, you know, Magic and LA will get their revenge the next year um, by beating Boston in six games, becoming the first team to win a chip in Boston. But for 1984, this was Boston's year. Uh, the Celtics went on, uh, won it. Like I said, they won the, won the championship. Uh, Bird capped off the MVP season by winning the MVP trophy, uh, finals trophy, I should say. Uh, it was just an amazing series. Um, you know, just just true rivals. I mean, guys, these teams hated each other like with a with a passion. You know, franchise hated each other, organizations hated each other. Um, it was this was just high level basketball um, at its best. You know, which is '80s basketball. '80s basketball is the golden era of the NBA for a reason, and this series was a big part of it. This series ultimately led to, you know, greater, you know, really elevated, raised the play of the entire league from that point because these two teams were the gold standards that everybody had to try to catch. So, but that's it. Um, I gave you all the breakdown of the NBA Finals, so, and why I think it is, the greatest series ever and game four is the greatest game ever so uh, really appreciate those that are listening uh, you know and just everybody have a wonderful weekend i'll be right back with another game next week i'm actually gonna uh, i'm gonna talk about the 1998 nba finals game six and why i think it's the greatest game michael jordan ever played and you know just why you why that Utah team was so good as well. So, uh, so I'll see you guys next week. Have a great weekend, guys. Be safe. Peace.